Today is the day that we are officially ordaining Matt Brocker and Kel Horvath into the gospel ministry. And uh, it's been a long journey. You're going you're gonna to hear the story. We're going we're gonna to walk through it step by step, and uh, you're going to understand, if you haven't already, uh, what this is all about. And so I don't want to get them ahead of myself. What I do want to do is just give us an introduction. Um, the theme of our summer series has been about missions. It's been about looking on the fields, and we've invited a lot of guest missionaries and pastors to come in. We've talked about different mission fields, and what I wanted to do was to try and stimulate your spiritual vision to see a world of people that need the Lord Jesus Christ. And, you know, that is the Great Commission. That is what we're called to do. And, and I want you to know that scheduling this event in the middle of this series is on purpose. Uh, we're doing it because ultimately, if, if you were to take time and study missions, for example, I teach a class in, in the Bible Institute about missions, and, and we look at Acts chapter 14, where Paul is finishing his first missionary journey, and it gives a list of the things that he did on his way to return back to Antioch, his home church. And on, on his way back, it talked about you know, evangelizing cities and teaching many and making disciples and confirming the souls. And, and at the end of that list of things that Paul was doing in his missionary endeavors, it says, ordaining elders in every church. Ordaining elders in every church. And that's what we're doing, because the ultimate goal of our evangelistic and discipleship and church planning efforts is that we want to be able to establish mature, gifted men of God, recognized for their faithfulness and, and uh, their discipline in preparing themselves to be fully ordained and commissioned to be leaders, and if God were to lead them to go and do something else, they are, they are with God's blessing to be able to go and to continue to do that. Um, I want you to understand that just working on the staff of a church, it, people are hired by churches as, as associate pastors and helpers, and, and, and we license them officially with the state. So, you know, it, if Matt or Kale did your wedding, it's legal. Uh, you know, th- that's one thing. So, you know, we can, we can do baptisms and we can do, you know, weddings and funerals and all that sort of thing. But, but an ordination, a biblical, this is a biblical event. This is an event that's defined by Scripture, and you'll see that in just a little bit. But, but this is something special. Um, this is God's ordained step of setting a man apart in an official capacity. It, it's, it's the result of what the Bible calls a presbytery. A presbytery would be a group of bishops that get together and confirm the fact of God's calling and preparation on the life of a man. And uh, that, is, that is what we have done. And, and they have been proven to be faithful and capable uh, to go wherever God would lead them to go and do whatever God would have them to do. Thankfully, they're staying here for a while, so, so that's good. Uh, I do want to just remind you of a couple of short verses as we enter into this. Uh, 1 Timothy 4.14 says, Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. And I believe that that gift is not a spiritual gift. Those things are things you get at salvation. This gift is, is a gift of God's blessing. It's a gift of leadership in the church in an official capacity that God recognizes. And, and the Bible says to not neglect that. How is it received? It's received at the event of the ordination, the laying on of hands of the presbytery. And it's such an important event. We don't enter into it lightly. That's why you don't see it very often. We don't enter into it lightly. 
It says in 1 Timothy chapter 5 that we are to lay hands suddenly, or hastily, you might say, on no man. Uh, you know, you might read that quickly and think, you know, don't punch people. No, that's not what it means. What it means is don't, don't quickly enter into this issue of ordaining a man. Make sure that they are not a novice. Make sure that they are proven. And so that's what we've done. What I want to do is give you a brief overview of the ministry history of these men. And then I will be inviting them up one by one to just share their story themselves and they can share with you how God's worked in their life and their calling on their life. We're going to start with Matt Brocker who was saved here at 21 years old in 1999 uh, while he was attending a communion service led by Pastor Mark at that time. Um, he immediately got involved in the singles ministry here and uh, got involved in the outreach aspect of that ministry, discipleship, when Shepherd School back then was involved. He was, he was a part of that for a while. And 2003 is when he and Ginny got married. Um, they worked together in children's ministry. Starting out, it was first through fourth grade, and then eventually became first through third grade. And, and they did that for about 10 years. And, you know, during the time when those of you that were here and remember this church was without a pastor and there was a lot of people unsure about what the future would hold and, and people were not ministering in areas that they used to. The Brockers faithfully did what God called them to do, never wavered, never moved, and held together that children's ministry group from first to third grade. Volunteers would come and go, but they were there and uh, proved faithfulness and fruitfulness some of you are probably here that were actually in their class at that time. So um, Matt then, when we started up the ministry tools and training and, and reestablished the advanced discipleship education, immediately got involved in that and completed that. Um, during that time of ministry tools and training, we always interview the students and we ask them, what kind of ministry are you involved in? Is there a ministry you would like to be involved in, maybe other than what you have been? The 10 years in the children's ministry, uh, he expressed an interest to possibly do something with adults. And so we set him up as the leader of the family life life group and did that faithfully until he ultimately handed that off to uh, Joel Herman, one of our deacons. And so they did that. Um, Matt came on the pastoral staff with me in 2014 um, after a long career as a mechanical engineer. He enrolled in our Living Faith Bible Institute when that became available and just this last spring with Kale as well that he completed his theological study. Now he's the leader of the young adult ministry called The Well, and uh, we're so very thankful for all the ways God has had you as a part of this church. Cale Horvath is a child of First Baptist Church. Uh, he was born and raised here, and so that means that Cale has been a part of every single class this church offers <laughs> up to his current age, right, of 26. And uh, 27? 26. All right, so, uh, so, you know, some of you, you know, may have had him in the toddlers or what? I mean, all the way through, and Cale's uh, been a part of this church's entire life. Um, interestingly enough, in 2001, Cale uh, was about 10 years old. He got saved um, in a communion service led by Pastor Mark, <laughs> so we're going to be stepping up our communion services around here. <laughs> Praise the Lord for that. As he came up through the youth ministry at that time, it's called 180, you remember, um, he was a worship leader in the youth ministry as a student. Um, when he finished that and he entered into the young adult ministry, the well, he 
then began the worship team at the well. They didn't previously have a worship team, and Cale established the worship team at the well. Uh, he and Brooke got married in 2012, and uh, he'll tell his story, but in 2012, um, that was a big year for him leading into 2013, which was another big year for him. Um, but among the things that happened in 2013 is when we hired him on staff. He was working as a pharmacy technician, and uh, we hired him basically just to be in maintenance. And he began to work at the church, and, um, and then from there, he became an intern. So some of his days were on, in ministry, and some of his days were just cleaning and fixing things. Um, in 2013, he was given the responsibility to lead the extreme middle school class, and so he did that faithfully. And in 2015, now two years ago, then he came on staff with us as the youth pastor and now leads the Ignite Youth Ministry. He also participated in the first round when we first rolled out the MTT classes. He finished that. Um, he also was taking other classes previously, but then the Living Faith Bible Institute, he completed that. And so as a result, we have seen, literally, those of us that have been here have seen Kale grow up and mature into a godly young man. And we're very, very proud for the way that God continues to use you and are excited about what your future is going to look like. Uh, Matt, I'm going to ask you to come up first and just share your story. And then as soon as Matt's done, Kale, just come on up after him. All right, am I on? Got All right. It was 18 years ago, sitting right where you're at, Kurt, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And he began a work inside of me because when I gave him my life, I was absolutely sincere. And what Mark was talking about was, was the sincerity with which we take communion and, and how serious of an event that is and how, man, if you haven't evaluated everything in your life before you take this, you may be taking this in vain. And I, I was like, I don't even have a relationship with the Lord. And, and, and in that spot, I, I gave everything. I said, whatever, wherever, whenever, my life is yours now. Because when I'm in control, it's emptiness, and it's pain, and it's frustration, and I'm a bitter and angry man, and I don't know what else to do. So I surrendered it all. So that was 18 years ago. Surprised I look so young still, but, uh, you know, holding on to what I can. Um, but yeah, God started working in my heart. I, I started discipleship with Mark Flinner. He's an awesome teacher. He uses a lot of football analogies that, that relates to me, you know, and I, and I picked up a lot of incredible things that, man, this book that I've got, this Bible, is God's Word. Like, this is, this is God's word, and I can believe every word in it. And that took my heart, man. That was like, so I can believe everything in here? Yes, the God that's powerful enough to create everything you can see is powerful enough to keep his promises, and he promised to keep his word. Walk on that. Stand on that. And, and God really took my heart from, from that time, and um, I began to, I was working at Gradall. I was young there, but I had a promising career. As, you know, I, I wasn't all that smart, but I worked real hard. And so you can get by on a lot of that. Um, and so I showed up every day. I worked real hard, and I just would wonder, why am I designing tools? 
for somebody else to make money, to save money. To there's, there's people that don't know Christ. I feel like I'm supposed to be doing something else, but, but I don't know what else that is. So I just began t- taking steps. There was um, shepherd school. There was other, other possibilities to be trained. Uh, Sam Salzner took me to his house, taught me how to study the, the word. Just awesome opportunities that just kept presenting themselves. And I would just take them, and, and I, would, I would just say, okay, Lord, I don't know what you want me to do, but I'm going to prepare myself for whatever, wherever, whenever. And, and that's what I've done up until this time. Um, there was a time, you know, shortly after I got saved, I met Jenny, my beautiful wife, and uh, we started dating. I, I'm, I drugged that on for like three years, sorry, um, <laughs> before I proposed, and, and we started having children, and, and life kind of kind of got real busy at that time and you know we were in the children's ministry we were doing the best we could Uh, things got a little crazy like Jeff said and and we asked ourselves should we should we stop too everybody's everybody seems to be just taking a time out and watching to see what God's going to do and we prayed about it and and I just said look God never said quit God said minister to these kids they need to know that when life gets tough, you just keep going and serving the Lord because he's worthy. And so that's what we did. And that, that's not a pat on our back. That was, that was what God told us to do, was stay put. And so that's what we did. Well, as life got busy with kids and family and all that stuff, I became okay with the thought that I, I'm just going to be an engineer the rest of my life. That's okay. That's, a, that's an honorable uh, income. I do a great job. They like me there. I, you know, and I had, had advanced over the years, and I was able to support my family very well. And so I kind of lost touch with that vision, with that feeling in my heart that you're not supposed to do this the rest of your life. Because when I was sitting in that pew, God kind of he held up a mirror in front of my face and said, this guy can't fulfill you. All the things that you've tried to do to fulfill that, that longing, that gap in your heart, you don't have it. I have it. And so that's why I surrendered. I gave it all to him. And then Jeff comes along and uh, starts MTT. And I, I don't remember exactly what, what the series was through the summer at the time. But God was impressing on my heart because of what, what I was being taught. And Jenny was pregnant with our third, uh, my son Weston. And I just really was getting scared to be a dad of a son and not know how to teach him how to be a man of God. Because I was just letting life happen at that time. And, and so I, I allowed God to show me that mirror again, and he shows me that mirror, and he says, in a sense, who's this guy? That's not the whatever, wherever, whenever guy that, that promised me and meant it <laughs> those years ago. And so I was able to, to just get on my knees before the Lord and, and give it back and say, Lord, I'm so, I'm so sorry that I forgot. That, that you're in charge, you're leading this life. I gave it all to you, and I meant it. A word of caution, if you mean it, so does he. He, he absolutely means it. And, and so I meant it, and, and I gave it back, and I started MTT, and, and the things that God started teaching me were incredible. There, there were a lot of the things I had learned over the years, but they were at a whole deeper level. They were at a personal level, and I would go to work, and I would look at my buddy Derek sitting right next to me and be like, what, are we, what am I doing here? This is not, I don't know what the thing is he wants me to do, but this is not the thing. 
And so, you know, I did MTT and, and other opportunities just kept presenting themselves. And um, one day Jeff invited me to, to lunch. We sat down. This was after Andy Schultz w had announced that he was going to be leaving. And or, or right before that. And Jeff said, you know, we're, we're looking to fill Andy's spot. And I would say that I thought, I thought he was asking my opinion. And I thought, that's pretty nice. You know, nice of Jeff to ask my opinion who, who we should hire, as, you know, or he should hire as the, you know, the next associate pastor. And I, I was humbled by that. And then the next words out of his mouth was, you're, you're one of three that we're considering. I was like, considering to, to ask who you should what do, you, what do you mean? No, you're, you're one of the three we're considering for that role to fill. And, and whoa, that, that was huge. And I, I went home, talked to Jenny, and we were both like, I'm just an engineer. Pretend engineer. I did the best I could. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just a guy. But I, but I meant it, and, and so did God. And so he brought that back on my heart and, and brought this opportunity to us. And, and we prayed about it, and Jenny didn't tell me what to do. I wanted her to tell me what to do so I could just, just do it and then say, God, you know, that, that girl you gave me told, told me. You know, it, did, it didn't work for Adam either, so I don't suggest. But she, she just said, look, I'm following you. Wherever you go, I'm following you. And, and that was a blessing. It was, that, that made the, the decision tougher, but, but that was a blessing. And so... Ultimately, obviously, we chose to, to come on staff here. Um, when I said, you know, yeah, Jeff, I'm, I'm ready to go, he said, well, I told you ahead of time, you need to make the decision for full-time ministry. This may not be the place. And so that was, that was a tough decision. Am I going to pursue ministry, or am I going to just keep going through life and preparing for something? That, that was finally the, the decision point, and, and we, def we made that decision. And that was three years ago, three and a half years ago, um, that we did that, and the, the Lord has been an incredible blessing, obviously, as always. Uh, I, I think I say, say this to the well all the time. I, I can't look over my shoulder and see anything from 18 years ago till today but the faithfulness of the Lord. That's all that's there. He's, he's, he's guided me every step of the way. I haven't been obedient all the time. I've, I've been stubborn. I've been bullheaded, but he's so patient, and he has a plan. And, and my life is his, every bit of it. And, and I'm thrilled and honored and humbled to, to have this opportunity. Morning, fam. How's it going? Oh, this is crazy. Um, my life verse is Amos 7, 14 and 15. And uh, if you don't know... What those two verses say, basically Amos is talking to a guy, and he's a prophet, and he says, you know, I was no prophet, I was no prophet's son, I was just a gatherer of sycamore fruit, <laughs> that's what he says, he's like, I was just a common man, I was just a laborer, and he said, but, and I'm paraphrasing of course, he says, but then the Lord called me to go prophesy to the people, to Israel, um, it's my life verse because, man, I'm, I'm a nobody, I... I'm the son of a hard-working man who's been a mechanic his whole life, middle-class family from T County, Northeast Ohio. Um, I don't come from a line of Baptist preachers. I don't come from this, uh, this heritage of anything. I'm just a guy, kind of like Matt said. I'm a nobody. 
But one thing I am is I am FBC through and through. Um, I don't tell this story very often, but I think it's worthy. Um, the only reason that I grew up in this church is because when my mom and dad were really young, uh, my dad was 19 or 20 when I was born, um, they lived in an apartment building with a, a, a little old lady whose name was Grandma Lawrence um, that maybe some of you older folk know, remember Grandma Lawrence um, from the Joy class. And she knocked on their door and asked them if they would go to church. And uh, my dad was like a biker dude, 20-year-old guy, probably scary dude. I don't, I don't remember, but he's sitting back there, so <laughs> you can ask him. But this little old lady knocks on his door and says, you want to go to church? And you know what? Because she did that today. I'm standing right here. Um, man, you don't really know all the influence that you have with your life until you get to heaven. And uh, she went to be home with the Lord a long time ago, but she truly doesn't know the influence that she had in my life just because she knocked on someone's door and asked them, you want to go to church? Um, so praise the Lord for that. And because of that, I grew up here. Um, I know many of you have said, you know, I diapered you when you were a little baby. I'm like, well, if you did that, praise the Lord. Thank you. Um, but really, uh, man, if you serve in youth ministry, if you serve in children's, if you serve in the toddlers, um, can I just tell you, you are making a difference in people's lives. Um, because the, the kids and the babies and the teenagers that you're ministering to are our next pastors, our next missionaries, people who will change the world. And if you truly believe that, you're going to make a huge difference for the kingdom of God. And I sincerely thank everyone who's had a touch in my life all the way up to this point. So many of you have, and so many people who have went on to be with the Lord or, or left this city have. Um, and, and I thank you all for that. Um, when I was 16 years old and in 180, it's the first time I felt the Lord touching my life, saying, I, um, I want you to preach. I didn't really know what that meant at the time. I just thought it would be cool to be a youth pastor because he bought Nerf guns and stuff. And... Uh, Maybe you've thought that as a teenager, if you're in here and you're one of uh, my kids and say, man, that might be cool to run summer camp. Maybe I could be a youth pastor. It's a pretty fun job. It, it really is. Uh, but, man, it wasn't, it wasn't until uh, 2012 that I fully surrendered to do that. It was in November 2012 at our Reach Missions Conference that I felt the Lord tugging in my heart to not just desire to be in ministry, but to pursue it full time. Um, and, and to not just say it would be cool to be a youth pastor, but wherever God calls me in the world, to be all in. Um, and that was when, in November of 2012. But let me warn you, uh, like Matt said, would, if you go all in, God's all in. And, and he asked me to prove it. 2012 was one of the greatest years of my life because I got married. Um, that year, I, I told the Lord I was all in that year. It was such a great time. 2013, on the converse side of that, was the worst year of my life. Um, so many bad things happened in my life, but God was saying, do you mean it? <laughs> Even if things get hard, are you still all in? Uh, in February of 2012, I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease as a 22-year-old dude. Um, I thought I was, you know, I, I, I thought I was, uh, I don't know, I thought I was going to live forever, man. You're 22, you're strong, you're, you're just, you're oblivious to the fact that things can go wrong in life, especially with your health when you're that young. And um, and that did so many things in our life. I'll spare you the full story, but it drained our bank account. It tested my faith. Um, it, it made me trust the Lord instead of my wallet and my ability to provide for my wife and my family. Um, but what it did was really ask me the question of, are you really all in even if everything gets hard? Even if I take everything away, will you still serve me? And it took me most of that year until the summertime, uh, probably around July or August to say, 
yeah, I am. I'm in. Because at this point, what else would I do? Where, where else would I go? What else would I do? And, and it wasn't that much longer after that that uh, I came on staff here as the maintenance guy, and the rest has been history. Um, and it's been a blast. And, man, if I could just say anything to you guys, it would be thank you. But also, um, if you're sitting in those rows and uh, whether you're young or you're older, man, if, if you feel that God has ever called you to do anything in life, man, just do it. Be all in. What's the point of being half in on anything, right? Be all in. Go all out, and you will see God do amazing things in your life that you can look back over your shoulder, like Matt said, and say, man, hitherto hath the Lord provided, right? I mean, I have so many Ebenezer's in my life because I had no choice but to just trust the Lord, and he has shaped my faith and who I am as a person up until this point because I was just said, I'm all in. I'm going to do whatever you ask me to do. And man, can I just say to you young people, I, I have a couple of disciples who are 18 years old who just graduated high school who are going into MTT. Um, I was you. I was 18, and I said, I want to be a pastor someday. If you will get on the path and do those red circles that are out on the wall, you could be right here someday. This church has a plan for you to be exactly where God wants you to be to get you from point A to point B. And if you will simply trust him, trust the pastors of the church, this church and get on the path, you will reach your full potential in Jesus Christ. But you got you to get on the path. And I'm an example that the path works because I started at square one. Um, and I stand before you today as a product of First Baptist Church. Thank you. You know, God has a lot in store for their lives that they don't know yet, and we don't know yet, but it doesn't matter, right? The Bible says that His Word is the lamp unto our feet and, to our, and the light unto our path, not a light unto the horizon. We don't know how God's going to take these people and launch them out. I didn't know when my church ordained me 30-some years ago where I would end. I had no idea. It doesn't matter. All that matters is you take each step faithfully, and so that's wonderful. I want us all to now... Welcome Pastor Mark Trotter, no stranger to this church. He's going to come and just help us to understand why this is so critically important. Love it, bro. Hey, y'all. It's so good to see all of you here. I haven't had a chance to uh, greet all of you personally, but man, it's great to be home. Uh, I love this place. I think you know that. Hope it goes without saying, and uh, so thrilled to have a part in, uh, in this incredible day in, in both of your lives and your wives as well. And uh, so uh, you probably couldn't hear because you were applauding, uh, but Pastor Jeff uh, asked me to talk uh, a little this morning, a little, uh, about <laughs> the importance of ordination. And, and of course, I, I think it goes without saying that this is a monumental day in the lives of these two two men, and again, their their wives. But but as we're we're, we're getting started and just talking about the importance of this, I, I wanted to take just a, a few minutes to talk about how significant this day is for this church. Because do you, do you realize the very fact that we are having this ordination service today is a testimony of what God is presently doing in this church? 
In Acts chapter 13, was that me? Some things never change, y'all. This is, this is the way, it's just, I bring this to this place. Uh, and do and you remember the day that I took it and threw it against the wall? Um, no. But Acts chapter 13, you, you there with, with that? There we go. Uh, Acts chapter 13. And of course, we, w- we would go to Acts chapter 13 as the model church in the New Testament. This is what we at First Baptist have sought to be. It's what this church is really all about. You'll notice in verse 1 that there were a team of pastors in this church. And uh, verse 2 says that what this team of pastors was doing is they were ministering to the Lord. That's interesting phraseology. How do you do that? How do you minister to the Lord? Well, the way you minister to the Lord, what these men were doing, is they were ministering the word of the Lord to the people. And they were so passionate about what they were doing that they brought with their labor in the word and doctrine and study, they brought fasting with that. And as they ministered to the Lord, what was happening in that church is the Lord was ministering through them. And verse 2 says that the Holy Ghost was moving in that church. The Holy Ghost was speaking in that church. And the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. The reason I bring this to your attention this morning is much in the same way through the ministry of Pastor Jeff and the other pastors in this church, as they have been ministering to the Lord by ministering His Word to you folks on a weekly basis, what's been happening in this church? I know you come in, you shake hands, you greet people, and all of those wonderful things, but in the midst of all of that, y'all, the Spirit of God has been moving. And the Spirit of God has been speaking, and what the Spirit of God has been saying is, separate me, Matt, and Kale, for the work whereunto I have called them. And where we're heading in this service today, just like in verse 3, what they did with Barnabas and Saul, where we're moving today is we're going to pray over Matt and, and Kale, We're going to lay hands on them and officially install them and ordain them into the office of a pastor. And again, this is unbelievably significant. Unbelievably significant in their lives, and yet again, I want to say, unbelievably significant in the life of this church. And to just get you to understand where I'm coming from when I'm talking about just how significant it is for this church. Could I take you back? Could I take you back to New Philadelphia 160 years ago from where we are today? August of 1857, James Buchanan was the 15th president of the United States at that time. It was three years 
before the Civil War began. It was two years before Abraham Lincoln became President of the United States. And there were, check this out, 44 more years remaining in the greatest period of church history, the Philadelphian church period. And in August of 1857, again, 160 years ago, do you realize there was not a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching Baptist church in New Philadelphia or Tuscross County, for that matter? But God had been moving in our country. On the East Coast, at that very time, there was what was, you, you can Google this, it was called the Layman's Prayer Revival. And what was happening in the Layman's Prayer Revival is men on their lunch hour in the big cities on the East Coast would flock into churches and for that entire hour would cry out to God for revival in this nation. As a result of that revival, over a million people came to Christ in our country. That was a big percentage at that period of time. But, but because of that revival, it began to spread from there into Philadelphia, and, or Pennsylvania, and on into Ohio, all the way to a little town that's about 18 miles from where we're sitting in this room this morning. In Carroll County, in a little town called New Hagerstown, it was a kind of a up-and-coming little town. There was a, a school of higher learning that was there, and there was a Bible-believing Baptist church that was there. In those days, there was a stagecoach that ran from New Hagerstown to New Philadelphia, and so the two towns had that connection, and in that Baptist church in New Hagerstown, the leaders in that church began to dream about and began to pray about planting a church in New Philadelphia, Ohio. And in 1858, March of 1858, it happened. They planted what we now know and love as the first Baptist church. That's where we got our name, y'all. We were the first Baptist church in New Philadelphia. And one of the things that just absolutely boggles my mind about that little bit of history is that if we were to hop in our cars today after church and we were going to drive to New Hagerstown, what we would find is there's a few little houses scattered hither and yon. There is a historical marker that is there that talks about the fact that there was a school of higher learning there. There is a building that you can tell was a church. I don't know for sure if it's the Baptist church that planted this one or not. But listen, you can go there this morning, and the church, the school, all of the commerce, even the city itself is gone, y'all. And those churches that we were just talking about on the East Coast where the layman's prayer revival had broken out, do you realize those churches where that revival broke out, do you understand those churches haven't preached the gospel or the word of God in over a hundred years, much less have a service like we're having 
in this place today. And yet this coming March, this church is going to celebrate its 160th anniversary. And listen, y'all, this church still preaches the gospel to see people come to Christ. It still preaches the Bible to see people built up in their faith. It still seeks to make disciples right here in Tuscarawas County and to the uttermost part of the earth. It seeks to perfect men and women for the work of the ministry. And this morning is proof that it still ordains people to the gospel ministry, and to all of that, y'all, I say, to God be the glory. Amen. 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 130 years into this church's history, I was privileged to become the 37th pastor of this church. 150 years into this church's history, This church had the spiritual wisdom and discernment to call Jeff Bartell to be the 38th pastor of this church. And and today, because of his leadership, because of his direction, because of his influence, and because of his faithfulness to the Word of God, two incredible young men and their wives are about to be ordained to the gospel ministry. And I want you to know, y'all, this is a big old deal. (laughs) For real. And, And I felt like to understand it, we had to almost get the context of history to understand what is actually happening. And one of the reasons that it's such a big deal is because it is a testimony of God's goodness and God's faithfulness to First Baptist Church. I mean, do, do you realize in the 21st century how rare it is for churches to do what this church is doing this morning? And do you understand how extremely rare it is for a church that is 160 years old that is still faithfully doing what God calls a church to do? And so again, I say, it's a very significant day in the life of of Matt and Kale, and yet an unbelievably significant day in the life of First Baptist Church. And what we're doing today in this ordination, I want you to know, it's been a long process. And it needs to be because of the sanctity of what this actually is. This is going to sound like it's going to be long. It's not. But what I want to do is just overview for you what has happened to bring this church and these men to this place in what I'm calling the sevenfold process of ordination. There's seven things that have led up to this day. Seven things. Let, let me just stop driving you crazy by this driving me crazy. Do you feel better right now? Okay, I feel a lot better. <laughs> there, there are seven things that have led up to this day. Seven things that will come to fruition on this day, seven things that will be the result of this this day. First of all, don't move. (laughs) The, The process of ordination begins with what we might call aspiration. And this was the aspiration that that Matt and Kale 
felt begin to well up inside of them as they began to grow through the various ministries of this church, through the ministry of discipleship, the faithfulness of the preaching on Sunday morning, as they've mentioned, ministry tools and training, as they have discipled other people. The, the way that it shakes out is it begins biblically with an aspiration. The way that Paul talked about it in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1, it says, If any man desire the office... Of a bishop. The word bishop is a synonymous word with, with pastor. And, and that's how this whole thing begins and began with these two men. It begins with a very simple desire. There was one day when Matt and Kale woke up and began to be able to envision themselves holding the office of a pastor. But it begins with aspiration. Secondly, is recognition. Okay, so as Matt and Kale began to grow, and before they ever even expressed that desire to anybody or that aspiration that was in them to possibly be a pastor, usually the way that it works, and it worked this way in this church, usually the leaders in a church and the people who have spent time in ministry with these men begin to have that same recognition in other words, they begin to recognize the hand of God on these men, and they too begin to envision them holding this office. I think it's what Paul saw in Timothy in Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 3, when he came in to that place where Timothy was from and saw his testimony and saw something in Timothy that said, yeah, I recognize God's hand on his life. So aspiration in the men, recognition of those around them. And then third in the process is observation. You see, though good leaders recognize potential, they also recognize, as Pastor Jeff has already mentioned this morning, 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 22 says, lay hands suddenly on no man. Okay, the, the laying on of hands being, of course, where we're heading in, in this service with Matt and Kale. We're going to lay hands on them. I'll talk about that in just a second. But Paul tells us in no uncertain terms in this verse that before anyone has entrusted to them the authority that comes with the title pastor, it must come after a period of observation which then translates into the next part of the process, which is preparation. That's the fourth part. And, and this is where, as Kale was just talking about, this is where the pastors of the church lay out a path for their biblical indoctrination, for their practical instruction, for those desiring this office. And this is where the pastor teachers, Jeff and the others, begin to no longer just seek to edify these men, but are actually equipping them for the work of the ministry. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12 talk about perfecting the saints for the work of the ministry so that these men can now go and edify others in the body of Christ. And listen, while this preparation is taking place, and as this preparation is coming to a conclusion... The fifth part of the process comes into play, and that is affirmation or confirmation. And this is where the pastors and the leaders of the church both affirm and confirm that these men are pure, both doctrinally and morally. 
in what they believe and how they behave. They've been viewed and analyzed, observed to make sure that they embrace sound doctrine and that they manifest godly character. And specifically, do they meet the biblical qualifications that Paul talked about in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1? And I want to say to you, before we came to this service today, the, those five things that we've just talked about, all of those have already taken place. We're on the other side of all five of those things, but there's two more steps in the process, and that's what this service is about today. The sixth part of the process is what we might call dedication. And that's where the pastors and the leaders and others who have been helpful in the first five parts of that process, as 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 14 talks about, this is where we will bestow the laying on of hands of the presbytery. And the presbytery is simply those that Pastor Jeff will invite in just a few minutes to be that group who will actually lay hands upon Matt and Kale, and, and we could spend a, a long time on talking about this thing of laying on of hands. It's certainly worth us doing, but if I could just quickly summarize it for you from a biblical standpoint, what the laying on of hand, hands symbolizes and pictures is something that's being transferred, something that is being passed along. And biblically, sometimes the laying on of hands was symbolic of transferring or passing along blessing. We see that quite a bit in the Old Testament. Other times, as when someone was offering a sacrifice, it was the transference of sin or guilt from the one who was offering the sacrifice to the, the sacrifice itself. And then there's other times, biblically, where the laying on of hands is symbolic of the transfer of authority. And that's what's getting ready to be happening in this room this morning. We will lay hands on the, these men, and we, as those who will represent the presbytery, will transfer the authority through which we hold this office we will transfer that to Matt and to Kale, and obviously along with our authority, our blessing, as in the same way that the church uh, will be offering blessing to these men. But this is a major component in this process, and the first five components in the process are leading to the laying on of hands or the, the actual dedication of these men to ministry so that the final part of the, the process of ordination can take place, and that is installation or ordination. Okay, and, and what's going to happen is as a result of what we do in this room today, Matt and Kale will be officially installed as pastors of this church, they will be ordained to carry out any and all of the functions of a pastor by the authority of this church. And listen, by the authority 
of the Holy Ghost. Do you remember, I started this talking about the model church in Antioch in Acts chapter 13. You remember in verses 1 and 2, where it talked about the pastors ministering to the Lord as they ministered the Word. The Spirit of God was, was clearly speaking in that church that He was calling out two men. Verse 3 says that when they had prayed and fasted, they had laid hands on them. They, the leaders of the, the church, as representative of the church, sent them away. And that's an important part. The church ordained those two men and installed them into that work. But would you look at verse 4? Verse 4 says, So they, that's Barnabas and Saul, being sent forth by the church, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, so which is it? Do they receive their installation and ordination from the church, verse 3, or from the Holy Ghost, verse 4? And you know what the answer is, right? The answer is, is yes. Listen, y'all. Because the Holy Spirit ordains men to the ministry through the authority of their local church. And that is what is happening in this room today. I, I hope that you can grab a hold of the, the significance of what the Spirit of God is doing in our midst and in the lives of these two men. God bless you. Okay, so men and women of First Baptist Church. Last evening, Matt Brocker and Kale Horvath met with pastors Mark Trotter and Jeff Bartell, along with via uh, video conferencing, Pastor Alan Shelby and Sam Miles and earlier Brett Bartlett. This meeting also included myself so that I could report to you the policies and procedures. Matt and Kale were encouraged to share um, what they believe was their God-given call to full-time ministry. A real important uh, aspect of last night's meeting was um, to make sure that these men understand and agree with the main doctrines of the Word of God, including the Word of God as a final authority, the importance of dispensational theology so that they can rightly divide the Word of God, uh, the mysteries standing versus stating, um, also um, the end times, the order of things to come. Um, and these, these men answered these questions um, exactly the way it should have been done. And lastly, um, Matt and Kale were encouraged, challenged, and warned about the difficulties, the joys, and the responsibilities of full-time ministry. It is my pleasure to report to you that it was a unanimous decision by all pastors present that Pastor Matt Brocker and Kale Horvat uh, be ordained into the gospel ministry. Hey, Todd, you can grab this. And 
Mark, did you grab my notes, dude? I got me some notes. I need them back. Because <laughs> I don't want to say something wrong. This is a pretty important time. While we were meeting last evening, um, Alan Shelby brought some questions specifically to these guys and wanted them to affirm. And, and I, I didn't write them down, but I'm going to summarize what he asked them. And I'm just going to ask them to affirm it again in front of you all because we are all involved in this. And so I would say on the basis of the doctrinal basis of the things that we hold dear and the understanding of the scriptures, which included all those things Todd said and more, uh, do you publicly affirm that you believe and will continue to teach those things as long as God gives you breath? Yes. yes. I want to I hear a vocal yes. So you believe them, you will keep them, you will teach them. And, and I'd like to encourage you. I, I, I would like for you to seriously respond so everybody can know that if the day ever, we live in, we live in troublous times, when people who have been trained properly go out on their own and miraculously change everything they believe. It, it, it's, a, it's a terrible, crazy day and time. But your ordination is passed on to you on the basis of this confession of faith. So as the men of integrity that you are, would you agree that should you ever dramatically change, now of course you're going to learn things from the Bible that are new, but if you dramatically change and deviate from these things that we have affirmed together, that you would willingly come and surrender this ordination that's been passed on to you. Yes, they're saying yes. And, and lastly, I just want to say, as you have been exhorted by this group of pastors to be aware of the continued life of service, my, question, my last question for you is, do you promise to serve the church of Jesus Christ sacrificially without motivation of personal gain? That is the life of ministry. It's the life of ministry for all of us. And this is a very, very special time. So now is the time that we want to actually have our time of prayer. So I'm going to invite Matt and Ginny, both, Cale and Brooke, to come up here. I would like for the pastors to come up, all of our staff pastors. I would invite all of our deacons. If, if you're a deacon in this church and you're here, I invite you to join us as well for this time of prayer. And uh, we're going to have you guys just kind of gather in front by the, by the podium. We'll stand around you. And uh, we're just going to share a time of praying together. Um, what we will do, Todd, why don't you grab that microphone over there? We're going to have to pass some microphones around. And um, the guys will just figure out what microphone's hot, right? And so, Todd, why don't you just begin? We're going we're gonna to go ahead and put our hands on these guys. And uh, you go ahead and pray. And after Todd, we'll just pass the microphone to Craig, and then Pastor Mark, why don't you go after Craig, Pastor Brett, after Mark, and then I'll, I'll close us up. How about that? Let's, let's pray for these men. Dear God, I'm so thankful for this day and what it represents. I just pray, God, that you'd be with Matt and Kale, be with their wives, uh, just be with their walk with you, and we're so thankful for the the training and, and, and everybody and everything that has been involved in this.
And I just pray, God, that you would bless their ministry uh, beyond belief. And, Lord, you've promised in your word that you will do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask and think. And so we ask for these two men, Lord, that you would use them in a mighty way. And that, God, that uh, many people would come to receive you as their personal Savior uh, through the ministry of these two men. I'm so thankful for their friendship. I'm so thankful for uh, just knowing them and them being an example even in my life. And Lord, I do want to continue in prayer for Matt and Kale. And first of all, thank you for um, their friendship in my life, uh, the example they have set uh, for all of us in uh, their passion for you, uh, their passion for your word. Lord, I, I look at them and uh, I'm inspired by uh, the wisdom that they have, uh, the discernment that they have in, uh, in leading their ministries and leading their families. I pray that they would only continue uh, in that passion and in that wisdom as they uh, serve you for the rest of their lives. Lord, I do want to pray for um, their families and uh, your protection over their spouses and children and any future children, Lord, that um, you would protect them, keep them from harm, keep them from uh, wicked and unreasonable men um, so that they can faithfully carry out uh, your mission in their lives without concern of um, of attack from the enemy on, on their loved ones. And, and so, Lord, I just pray that you will uh, keep your hand on them, protect them uh, both physically and spiritually and from any other kind of attacks that might come their way and, or their family. And, and just ask that you would uh, guide them through this to continually uh, serve you with faithfulness um, and integrity. We pray these things in your name. Amen. And Lord, with great humility, we, we come and just as we are experiencing this solemn occasion where uh, the presbytery is, is laying hands on these men, and I, I pray that the supernatural quality of that will be realized in these, these men and that this will be uh, a day that lives in infamy for the rest of, of their lives and their ministry and until you call us home. Lord, I, I pray that the word of the Lord would have free course and would be glorified in and through these men. I pray that you would grant to them the key of David that opens doors that no man can shut and shuts doors that no man can open. I pray that they would be strengthened with might in the inner man, that you will bless them with the spirit of revelation and knowledge of you. I pray that they will, in all humility, hold your truth and stand behind your truth to boldly proclaim it in their generation. And we do pray that there will be an incredible harvest of souls and that glory will brought, be brought to you in the everlasting kingdom through these men. We ask in Jesus' name. Father in heaven, we know that uh, 
when your son was on this planet, he he raised a young girl from the dead, and and when he had done so, he commanded that she be given something to eat. And Lord, uh, we are all assembled here, the the once dead children of Adam. And you have so ordained that there would be people who would be commanded to feed the newly raised sons and daughters of God from the curse of Adam's death. And these men must be those who are capable of feeding themselves. So, Father, we pray that that Cale and Matt would be your true servants who nourish others on the same on the same food that they themselves are nourished by that before they take charge of the flock they will take charge to themselves that they would take heed under their own lives and under their own homes and under their own families because father we know that they cannot lift up any person from a position of higher ground that they are not standing on themselves. And so, Lord, we just pray that that these men would understand that if they are not going to live out the command to themselves walk, even as also you walked, uh, then who will? Father, that, that if there's going to be somebody who is going to live out the life of Christ in a private and public venue, who is going to be the example to this Laodicean age that there is no public worship without private worship. If that's going to be anybody, it, it must be them. If there's anybody that's going to, to reach out and touch the leper, if there's going to be anybody who will risk their life in ministry for an immoral woman, if there's going to be anybody who will be obedient even unto the death of the cross, if there's going to be anybody who will stand against the, the legalistic false doctrinal onslaught, that it, it's going to have to be them who will be Christ-like. Because if not them, then we truly are in big trouble, Lord. Um, Lord, we ask that these men would be able to understand that you don't see as man seeth. Uh, you don't look on the outward appearance. You don't look on the size of congregations. You don't look upon the approval of Laodicean Christians. You don't look upon the, the, the praise of, of this world, Father, but you look on the heart, a heart that is dedicated to and consumed by your words and your work and your people and your flock. Uh, people who understand, men who understand that clean hands and a pure heart and humble minds and repentant lives and the winning of the never-dying souls of men are more than ample compensation for the distresses and the persecutions and the molestations of vocational ministry because they are able to see them the way that you see those things. You see them as wealth. You see them as riches. 
You see them as crowns at the judgment seat of Christ. Lord, we pray that these men, above all men, would understand that there is a payday someday. And Lord Jesus, on the basis of all these things and with all of our due diligence and following you step by step to this moment, we ask that with this act of the laying on of our hands that you transfer to these men full authority and leadership and privilege that comes with the sacrifice, with the sorrow, with the target on their back from the enemy, with the things that become a leader in the gospel ministry, we ask for your blessing, we ask for your protection, we ask for your continued guidance and, and, and your sovereign blessing to just keep them focused, keep them disciplined, keep them true to your word, true to the body of faith that has brought them thus far. By trusting and walking in your Holy Spirit's power, by surrendering to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and in the power of God the Father, that they will day by day continue to take the next step as the exact next step that you would have them to do. That you would use these men and their families with might, that they would have fruit for eternity, that all goes to your glory. That this commissioning becomes indeed the beginning of a very fruitful life, joyfully serving you even through tears because there is no other life. There's nothing else that they could do, even if they wanted to do. You have placed a call on their life and you have brought them to this point for this very moment. So we rejoice with you, Heavenly Father, and we thank you for the work that you have done and we thank you in advance for the works that you will continue to do as we joyfully partner together and see the multiplication effort. Lord, thank you for this testimony. Thank you for this church and its history. Thank you for all the ways that you have brought us here. And we joyfully launch these men out into all of the areas that you would lead them to go. We humbly submit these things and thank you for them in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Let's, uh, let's just give them a warm round of applause. Love you guys. Why don't you guys all go ahead and have a seat? We're not quite done. Uh, we've got a little bit, I know it's a little bit of a longer morning, but this is a wonderful morning. So, Pastor Brett, just stay here. Pastor Brett Bartlett, the pastor of Wildwood Baptist Church in Lambertville, Michigan, also one of the key instructors in the Living Faith Bible Institute, is now going to take a little bit of time, and he's going to um, just give a charge of encouragement for these men and their families in their continued ministry going forward. The ordination charge of Matt Brocker and Kale Horvath. Normally at a time like this, I would say something snarky and self-glorying. 
but the solemnity of the occasion is overcoming me, uh, and I will abate these impulses of mine at least for this special dispensation. (laughs) I am both honored and humbled by this request. Truly, only God knows to what extent. To be honest, I don't even necessarily know how or why I got here. It almost feels like there was some sort of unchecked clerical error a few weeks ago. (laughs) And they were shocked when I drove into the parking lot this morning. As well, especially after preparing and reflecting upon the subject, I have been sobered by the intensity of this auspicious occasion. A statement which no doubt bears some explaining. It seems as though providence has seen fit to task me with the venerable injunction of charging these fine men into ministry. If I had been so afforded the grace, I suppose we could have spent all day running to and fro through the Old Testament and Pauline epistles, comparing Scripture with Scripture, analyzing every possible implication of a biblical charge, trying to remember every Frank Pardue-ism I could possibly recall, (laughs) and how it applies to an ordination. Alack and alas, Jeff has not conferred upon me such grace. So I shall simply say, along with the author of Hebrews, time would fail me. And thus I digress, instead striving for thrift and synthesis in the deliberation of a single passage written to Timothy by his mentor and friend, the Apostle Paul, which I believe encapsulates all the charges given to this young minister, Timothy. But I'd like to begin by hearkening back to my aforementioned sentiment of being sobered by the intensity of an ordination. And to explain why that that is the case, I would have you read with me 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, 2 Timothy chapter 4 being that single passage of which I just spake. Starting in verse 1, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing, and his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. These five arresting elements of this ministry charge that I could not escape this week are seen here in these first five, or I'm sorry, in, uh, in this first verse. They are in this order <clears throat> that it is indeed a charge, an official and formal command, an irreducible minimum of your calling. The word charge itself is a word that intentionally carries the weight of intense accountability. But it is not just a charge, but it is secondly a charge before God, which we know that all things are before God, and therefore for the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul to call out the fact that God is tending to this ceremony that God is looking at the hearts and minds of Matt and Cale to see whether or not they mean what they say, to see whether or not that their thoughts are congruent with the intents of their heart, that their joints are congruent with their marrow, that they are actually intending to fulfill this call. God is tending to this. And yet, not just God, but look at it in verse 1. And the Lord Jesus Christ, as if 
we did not know that the Lord Jesus Christ is God, and as if we did not know that God beholds all things, and as if we did not know that a charge is a really big deal, it is being stated nonetheless that both the Father and the Son, in a specific way in regards to the Godhead, has a dog in this fight. This is a big deal. And, and, and then it says, Who shall judge the quick and the dead? This is why, Matt and Kale, this is why you must never forget that what you are about to do, what you are about to partake of, what you are about to call your vocation is the highest calling in all of existence. It is the highest calling in the cosmos. There is not an angel in heaven that has the responsibility and the calling that you have as of this day. Because no other calling in this world both affects the spiritual kingdom in this life and in the afterlife. What becomes of this congregation, at least to some extent henceforth, and any subsequent congregation that God may see fit to allow you both to pastor, both in the temporal realm and in the eternal, affecting both the church militant and the church triumphant, now and at the judgment seat of Christ, will be directly affected by your faithfulness to this charge. And if that is not sobering enough, there is this also. At his appearing and kingdom. Gentlemen, according to Paul in the opening salvo of our text, your ministry of preaching must have a lot to do with what happens at the appearing of Christ, the glory that he receives when he comes into his kingdom, and his allocating of physical kingdom responsibilities to the bride to be carried out in the millennium. All of that imagery. I want you to let that sink in for a second. All of that imagery, that weight, the galactically stupefying implications all connects to pastors being faithful to this charge to how seriously you take this ordination today. Thus, I don't think it is in any way inappropriate or hyperbole to say that that is scary. It is sobering. And that from this day, Matt and Kale, the vocational ground upon which you tread, that ground which you have been told to plow and to not look back from, is holy ground. I think it is also salient to note the conjunction in the first verse that ties it to the context, therefore, which ties us to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And do you know what 2 Timothy chapter 3 is all about? It's all about the true joys of ministry. 2 Timothy chapter 3 is about perilous times that you, more than at any other time, more than any other of any group of pastors who have been ordained before you, are living in the most perilous times of all. Because it is in these times that men shall be lovers of self, and you shall encounter, therefore, blasphemers and the unholy and liars and false accusers and traitors and arrogant subverters of truth. And that will be done. And th this, is, this is the thing that you must prepare yourself for. It will be done in the name of godliness and ministry. 
it will come from within. From within, mind you. Not from without. Men, this is what awaits you in ministry. This is your earthly reward for this cool job that only seems cool until you actually start doing it. When you find out that it's more than talking for 45 minutes with people listening as if they're catching jewels that are falling from your mouth while you wear your snappiest outfits. When you find out that it's much more than that, when you find out that it's about tears and heartache and betrayal and burying caskets this long, and being the only person that those parents want to speak to, not having a a thing to say, This is what awaits you in ministry, men. That and men like this, evil men and seducers, and the persecutions and afflictions that they bring upon the man of God and the church that he is called to shepherd. So what do you do? What is your defense? How do you prepare for the inevitable battle with the tares the enemy has so liberally sown among the wheat? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 4-17 through 17, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, Throughly furnished unto all good works. The answer, men, the answer is always Scripture. Because in ministry, the problem is never the problem. Then bear this in mind. The solution is always the Bible. The authoritative standard for this age being, according to Peter, even more valuable than the human recalling of God's audible voice is the written, preserved, canonized, and translated words of God in a book. Thus... The lion's share of your vocational validity will be measured in book work. That is where the work is done. In studying and burning the candle at both ends. It will not last the night. But all my fellows and all my friends, it gives a lovely light. The flesh-wearying study of the Bible that demonstrates God's approval of your ministry. An approval that will be obvious to the discerning remnant of the Laodicean bride when you open your mouth to preach. And so, Matt and Kale, I charge you today to preach the word. If you do, we will know. Because it will be characterized by what is called sound doctrine. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. Though most men won't want to hear it because they have itching ears, which turn away from the negativity which accompanies the power of the cross and errant and authentic preaching. You must be willing to faithfully declare the whole counsel of God with reproof negative and rebuke negative and exhortation positive. Are you willing to have your pulpit ministry be characterized in this day and age to be characterized as being two-thirds negative?
Do you have the right stuff to pull that off? Bunky? As my dad always said. If you do, if you preach the word, it will be characterized by specific and exclusive content. As Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through, uh, um, 11 through 22 teach us, that everything that you say will come directly from an exposition of the apostles, the Old Testament, the prophets, Old Testament, and, and or, I'm sorry, the apostles of the New Testament, the prophets of the Old Testament, and Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. From this passage, along with others, we see that the early church had carefully developed a body of fixed teachings under the care of the apostles, which was faithfully passed from church to church. It was a received faith through the transmission of received texts. Throughout church history, as the faith which was once delivered unto the saints penetrated new cultures and language groups, God was faithful to preserve his words for every generation with manuscripts from an unbroken lineage back to the apostles. Those manuscripts were as well received, even having been bestowed upon them by the church the title, The Received Text. Hence, the genuine words of God could always be, as they they still are today, discerned from the counterfeits because of the sounds they make from reading and preaching its specific purified words spelled with actual specific letters, BTW. Matt, Kale, if you preach the word, your preaching will also be characterized by attention to individual words. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 13 says to hold fast the form of sound words. Words make a sound. They sound like Paul and they sound like the actual words which can be found in a specific book. Which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. Now men, I say all of this to the end that there could be no doubt of what and to what I am referring when you are charged today with your most sacred trust to preach the word. I am referring to a specific book containing specific sounds made by specific words. Specific words which alone have been preserved, purified, and placed in your lap. We are referring to none other than the monarch of books, than the lion of the Reformation, than the open door of the Philadelphian age. We are referring to the authorized King James Bible and none other. And to correct it or to abandon it for some cheap Gnostic knockoff is to break faith with the men of this presbytery on this day and the very stated purpose and meaning of your ordination. Men, do you understand that? Skip point two. I want to close with one final reminder. It is in the context of this charge that we find the familiar words of Paul. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. I have fought a good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Matt, Kale, this is what this presbytery wants for you. This is what I want for you. 
This is what your family wants for you. This is what this church wants for you. Everyone here today is rooting for you to be able to get to that final hour as you feel the strain of the silver cord and say these words. But to get there, to get there, you need to remember Paul's final command to this young man who still had his whole ministry before him as you do. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 through 19. Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica, Crescens unto Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for ministry. And Tychicus have I sent to Ephesus. The cloak <clears throat> that I left at Troas with Carpus, when thou comest, bring with thee, and the books. But what? But what especially? But especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. It's one of my favorite verses in the New Testament. Of whom be thou aware also, for he hath greatly withstood our what? Our words. At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray, God, that it be not laid to their charge, notwithstanding the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known and that all Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion, and the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Matt, Kale, I will leave you with this. Do thy diligence and make a special place in your life and in your home and in your office and in your heart and in this pulpit for the individual words of this parchment. Because in the end, that is the thing that will deliver you from evil men, from the mouth of the lion from every evil work. That is the thing that will present you faultless before a throne and give you a glorious entrance into the kingdom. Tend to your cloak, yes. Read your books, of course, but especially the parchments. Learn it. Let it lead you. Lead with it. Preach it. Defend it. Proclaim it. Love it. Cherish it. Meditate in it day and night. Let it be your delight in your counselors. Let it be your rock, your nourishment, your armor, your cool cup of water, your honey in the rock, your balm in Gilead, your pillar of cloud and of fire, and your song in a long, weary night. Let it be your friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Make the parchment special in your life, in your home, and in your ministry, because if you do, man, if you do, Though there be the Demas, there will be a Tychicus and an, Onesif and an Onesiphorus. Though there be a Hymenaeus and Alexander, there will also be the Erastus and the Tromphius. And though there be Alexander the coppersmith, there will be the Eubulus and the Pudens and the Linus and the Claudia. And hopefully, with you, it will be names that are easier to pronounce than those. <laughs> and in the darkest hour, and it will come when no man stands with you. 
your love for these parchments will give you a faith to see what Elisha saw when he was surrounded. And you will understand that you are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. In those necessary and trying times, you find yourself as a lone soldier trapped behind enemy lines, alone in temptation's dreadful hour, or alone in your discouragement on some foreign strand, or alone as you stand for truth against the Laodicean malaise. You will remember by faith this one centering truth which has been the dominating truth of my ministry and has seen me through to this hour. You and God are a majority. And that the Lord will stand with you and strengthen you and that your preaching might be fully known and that you will be delivered from the enemy preserved unto his heavenly kingdom. Gentlemen, we of course hope all of this for you and your ministry but it is not simply our hope today that you will do so. For ordinations aren't about man's hopes. This is your charge from Zion, from Scripture, from very God. If ever there was a day that we're going long, this is the day. It's that important. And so we're just about done. We, we've warned you of all the terrible things that happen in ministry. But that's not today. Today's a joyful day. So if you would please come up one more time, Matt and Jenny, Kalen Brooke, and Erla, come up also. We have the official certificate of ordination we want to present to them. The band can come on up too. We're going to have one last song. And we're going to worship the Lord together one last time. But let me just see these. And let me read to you what they say. So in this, they're the same, except for their name. We the undersigned, upon recommendation and request of the First Baptist Church at New Philadelphia, Ohio, which had full and sufficient opportunity for judging the God-given gifts and after satisfactory examination by us in regard to the Christian experience, call to the ministry and views of Bible doctrine, hereby certify that Matt Brocker and Cale Horvath was solemnly and publicly set apart and ordained to the work of the gospel ministry by authority and order of the First Baptist Church at 878 Commercial Avenue Southwest, New Philadelphia, Ohio, on the 6th day of August. 2017. And all the church said, Amen. 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 You will not soon remember, forget this day. You will not soon forget the, the standing of the church before you, which will be important as you go forward in days that aren't so glorious. But today we want to have some fun. We're going to have one last song of worship. You guys, I'm going to go ahead and dismiss to the lobby. We're going to have a brief reception. On your way out, you can meet them. Brief reception in the lobby.